Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. In every episode, we bring you insights into the teams behind the teams in professional football. Coming up on today's episode. You're there and you guide them and then you let them go. And that's kind of my role. I'm there and I'm guiding them, giving them the tools. They're starting to understand themselves a bit. Then I let them go and then they might come back to me now and again, but you would hope that they carry on doing it. And that was one of the conversations of the day with one of the players. I'd not had him in for a few weeks. And I said, oh, I feel like I've not seen you for a few weeks. And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. And I'm like, yeah, that's the issue though. When we sometimes feel we're all right, we don't do it. He's like, Sally, morning breath work, I'm doing the car. I'm doing afternoon breath work when I get home. I'm doing my journaling on a night. You've taught me well. I'm like, oh, perfect, let you go. I'm Simon Austin, and our guest on the podcast this month is Sally Needham. Sally is the human development and performance culture lead at Sheffield United Academy. She took up this innovative new role in April, following 15 years with the Football Association. Sally made a big impact when she appeared on a panel at our recent youth development conference, so we decided to find out more about her and her work. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast, Sally. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. So what does that mean, human development, do you think, to explain to people? Human development is around understanding them as humans, but also them understanding themselves as humans. So we're caught up in a world where emotions and feelings are, are bad or good. They're not. They're just emotions and feelings. So we get the boys to understand about emotions and feelings, how it links to football, how they understand mood, how they stand themselves. We do a lot of work on breath, a lot of work on mindfulness, journaling, yoga's in the, in the programme. So we're basically trying to give them the understanding of themselves. So the fact that they will go up and downs, they will have times where they're not feeling great, how they get the mood back up, what works for them. And every individual from when they're in their last trimester, every experience is stored in their body and their brain. So every individual that we have is totally different and we have to look at that as why is that? So if a player is losing the head as such and getting sent off, well, what's the, what's the why before it? It's not just the behaviour. What separate the behaviour from the child? What's the behaviour telling us? So human development for me is, and I said this the day when, when we had a player make a first team appearance, if we hadn't have probably gave him an understanding of himself, I'm not sure he would have been able to cope with that experience as more, because he, he had his strategies, he had his sleep spray the night before, he did his journaling, he knows about his breathing, he did his um, positive journaling stuff as well in the morning. So he knows about it, he knows the fact that he would be feeling nervous. He knows all that because it's normal to feel that. And we've done some quite some bits sometimes on laying some of the groundwork in the nervous system so the fact that when they step on the first team or when they step into the 21s or when they're having a different experience their nervous system doesn't know is is familiar with it so we do a lot of visualization your brain doesn't know whether you're actually doing it or you're thinking it so if we can lay some patterns so the fact that when then their experiences happen the nervous system window of tolerance doesn't shut it keeps uh, uh, keeps wide and it's not a new experience 
then they can make better decisions, be more present, be more aware of what's surrounding them and take the experiences in more. So for me, human development is giving the boys and the staff understanding of themselves, understanding of the, what's normal, we're all human, and understanding about, um, not strategies as such, but bits of the bits of the science that then how they can tap into that to help mood, performance, well-being, decision making, and how we stretch their window of tolerance to give them as much what's underneath the surface as possible to help be cope with demands of the game. Because it's interesting about that knowing yourself because it seems to me it can be a bit of a, it can potentially be an unhealthy environment really, can't it? Where mm-hmm. you've got a lot of lads together, they're yeah. away from home, there aren't many female figures around in yeah. a lot of academies, very yeah. competitive. Um, and I suppose you could shut down that aspect of yourself rather than understanding it and yeah. expressing it. I think for me, when I first came into the academy, um, we've done a lot on transitions. So it got mentioned the fact that, oh, the text or Christmas is settling. Well, why is that? Because we're missing moments of development. But actually, if you understand what the neuroscience is about, loss and grief in the circuit in your body, then that's kicking in. So how do we then help that from a psychological safe perspective? So we jump, so we're not missing four or five months of development, they're actually present and in, we call it the green zone. So they're in the thinking capacity as much as they can for development. Um, I think, so them understanding that and the coach understanding it as well and how we then go about it because brains and what we know about the brains and the body is developing all the time. We probably, what we think now is probably might not be true in the next 10 years, but definitely understanding that their brain doesn't settle until 24, 25. Um, <clears throat> and when you talk to the coaches, they'll say, if I'd have known now, or known that when I was younger, mm. what a difference I would have had in, in a career. So we're trying to give them the experiences and understanding of it earlier on than figuring it out later on in themselves. So they can understand it more now to work with it. And that's kind of probably the quote that you've got up there that we had with the speaker the other day about, we do a lot of sensing in to then work with the emotions, to then reset, to then back into your green zone. So the lads have got a common language and the, the, the coaches know it as well about red and green zone. It's very simplistic. It's not, um, probably academics will go against it, but it's just a model, purely a model, to help the boys to understand about decision-making and where they are in their thinking capacity. Yeah, and just for people listening, we're sat in uh, a mindfulness room at yeah. the moment, aren't we, that you've set up uh, for are. the boys. So, yeah, I was just wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about this and the thinking behind it and how it works. Yeah, so we've got a mindfulness wall where we've got a colouring in wall. So the boys come in and just colour. Um, a lot of the boys have a mindfulness book um, where they're colouring at night. Um, interesting, I had a text message the other day from a, uh, one of the players that's left, that's gone to another club, and he did it before his debut, for his other club, took it in the changing room. Felt nervous to begin back into being into present and just sensing in. We've got some greenery in some pictures um, that's on scenic, so forests, water. We know from neuroscience that just seeing greenery, seeing water, gives you some chemicals in your body that relaxes your nervous system, opens back up your thinking. Um, we've got some blankets, we've, so the lads come in and chill out on the beanbags. We've got some mats 
So we do breathing, um, we do meditation, we do um, yoga in here. Um, we've got telly up there for lads to have some, again, water running, scenic and music coming out of the speakers. Um, we're just in the process of getting a table tennis, um, obviously table tennis, um, for the boys to have it more of a, uh, an area to chill out. Um, it's still going to be a changing room on a weekend, so it's not this fantastic, mm, like million pound, or even expensive room at all. It's very much something that we just put the lads in. They come in and chill out in. Uh, we do the breathing in. Um, but yeah, it's 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 we. How I explain it to the boys is, um, in his in his nervous system, we've got a brake and an accelerator. And when we push on the accelerator too much, we then have an imbalance and we need to be able to have the accelerator and the brake. And when we have an accelerator and brake in a really good equal partnership, our immune system, our well-being, our thinking works well. So injuries or feeling unwell works well together. So we, we do massive amount of understanding about training the mind and our breath and body awareness to then be able to perform higher on the pitch. So it works in tandem. Um, and then they use the power of the breath as well to help on nervous system. And also we know that focus and concentration, we're saying to the boys in the week about like Haaland with meditation, stays connected to the game. The more we can stretch their window of tolerance, fill up the bucket basically, the more concentration and focus they're going to have. Um, so yeah, so this room's just recently been done. Um, I'm very fortunate here that anything kind of that we want to go with, we go and we try. The lads are really forward thinking with it. Um, they love it. It's in the programme. Most Every morning's breath work before they go into individual work. Um, we're doing some stuff on sleep at the minute um, with Anna West. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah we, she did yeah. a good piece for us on yeah. the website a few so years ago. Anna's yeah. doing some work for us at the minute. Um, but yeah, the boys, the boys really... And the younger ones love it. A lot of them do it in school now, so it's not like it's so new. Um, but we've had some real, probably success stories at the PDP where the ones that have really took it on have had some, some real um, benefits. And it's hard for me because unless we've got a scanner to scan the brain, um, I've got, to, I've got to ask them to feel it and believe it and then work with it. Um, in the gym, they can go from, you know, bench pressing 20 to 30, they see the differences. They don't see it as, as much here, they have to then feel it, which is stronger long term. But um, I'm really fortunate the boys and the staff, the staff use come into this room as well sometimes, um, that they go with what we put in there. It's not really much. Well, if you saw upstairs, like our officers, there's greenery, places we're all on a one desk um so we try and do things a little bit different what's the science tell us but then how does it help us for performance and, and the overall little bit of it and you kindly showed me around I before did. we sat down to do this <laughs> and you were talking to a lot of the boys as we walked around i could see that you had a relaxed open sort of relationship with them and do, do you think it is a different relationship with someone like yourself rather than with a coach? Can they be more themselves? Yeah. If you look at it from a sociological lens, the power sits with the coach. Retain and release, 
who gets the shirt, who doesn't get the shirt. Um, so the boys will come in here and talk very much more openly about it. Um, I then work with the coach to say, right, think about this, or this player may be feeling a little bit like this. If there's some things that the player said to me that's confidential, obviously that doesn't go, go past. But there's really nothing much that they come to me that I can't then, or they're not happy about me, then talking about or linking it in. Um, and I think I feel the biggest asset in this building is the staff. Like they are so open to ideas, changing of lens. Like when I first came in, a lot of people said to me, "What what do you do in your, your job role?" Because I would I would perform as consultant. I said, "Change perspective." So when we have a child that or a player that's sixteen, seventeen, that looks like they don't want to be bothered, they're not bothered, they're not here. They are, it's sometimes just brain development. So when we try and, and I'll say to the lads all the time, or the staff, separate the behaviour to the child. What's the behaviour telling you? Let's unpick it before we start to make a, a judgment on it. Um, and things have changed and I think Jack used to get sick of me saying it, but if we just repeat a system that we've already been in a system, we're just repeating the system. Like you go to Oxford or Cambridge, you probably get ed educated by a lot of people that's come through that system. So bringing a different lens into it, that I've not come through this system. I'm female, I come from a different background, and I, my lens is slightly different on child development and brain development. You give a different perspective. The element of, for me, the biggest thing we've had in here is the buy-in. Um, and I think that's probably come from top down, and it does come from top down, but I think the staff, are very open, very forward thinking. They see the results that they've bought into it. Would you get involved in coach education as well? So would you watch maybe our coach takes a session and give yeah, them feedback so on that, how they... We did that last week with Pre-Acad. So on Pre-Academy, we filmed the staff and did a little CPD on around connection. So we talk here around connection before correction. So we did a little bit on what's the science tell us around how you arrive, the face of the coach, touch in sessions, fist pumps, whatever we do, I mean, how that affects their nervous system, how I use my tone of voice, how I use my face. So we, we filmed and mic'd the staff up last week on Pre-Acad and then um, did a little bit of, this is the science, go and be more consciously aware of it. So it's more purposeful in your sessions. You think about it just as much as you plan your technical elements or your practice design. And then we sent them the footage and then they come back and they observe what did I do, what were I more consciously aware of, what do I need to more, be more purposeful in. Um, so yeah, so a lot of my work with the staff is, is coach development and that's obviously my background that I came from. So, so yeah, I do a lot of coach development as well. Yeah, because my understanding of neuroscience is pretty rudimentary. Like I've read the Sarah Jane Blakemore book, yes. which was really interesting. And yeah. Perry as well, who's at the conference with you, um, I've spoken to a bit. And I was quite surprised by a few things, really. Number one was the fact the brain keeps developing, yeah. like you said, to look 24 or something yeah. like that. Um, and then major factors being the risk-taking. Yeah. That, you know, maybe the need to be more tolerant of that, the developing creativity and risk-taking. Um, and the other, like, how influential your peers are. Yeah. You're very, very conscious of what your peers yeah. think of you. and um yeah that they were probably the big things i picked up i think yeah we changed our i think a lot i think a couple of clubs have changed it but we changed our 
our uh, banding. So Matt went to nice to fourteens, and then Matt's just thoughts just come in and gone fifteen to seventeen. So we've got an overlap um, for transition periods because that's shown massively. But yeah, peers. So how much they're influenced by peers? How much the peers are the ones that give um, or what their verdict or opinion matters on? Um, some of our 18s, we ask them to go back and do some coaching with the 15s and 16s and 14s because we feel like it will have quite a big impact that they see the peers doing it and they're teaching them and they see where they want to get to. As we mentioned, brain not stop developing, um, risk taking, but we can use it in a healthy way. Um, and especially 1v1s when you think about that. So I think youth development phase, when I first came in, my lens is foundation phase, that's why I had a lot of lens on the FA. Um, I thought YDP had been my next big step, um, but I've gone more PDP, to be honest, I've gone more 18s and 21s, but I still think it's a massive area, the adolescent brain stuff, that's probably still not fully embedded, and it's, we've just changed a staff member, so that's an area that we're really going to go after in the next six, nine months is is adolescent brain period. Is that something that you would remind a coach about then? So if they're getting annoyed with a player, taking a risk, giving the ball away, taking someone on when they shouldn't, is that something you would remind them and say, look, they're that age, their brain is developing? Yeah, and it's also about knowing where they are, where the coaches are in their stages of development as well. So I, I would struggle to get around every coach and every player because of my time. So... I have to pick who's my big influencers, then who then influences. So head phases are a massive influence because then they can trickle down the information. Um, some of ours now are on the AYA, which is a massive, I think, uh, uh, my best course that I did, more my advanced youth one. So sometimes it's a case of dripping certain bits in, but then allowing them to learn that to then come back to then underback under pin it. Um, I think there's an element of trying to give a little bit of info, letting them be curious around it and then come back. Mm. Um, and relationships, and the, I learned quite early on, Jack said to me, I have patience, so I've learned to have a bit more patience, but also I've learned quite early on um, when I came into the role that the small conversations that you have actually um, are, are the most impactful rather than sometimes the formal is that with a staff member or yeah, players? Yeah, the staff or member. With, so yeah. I tend to stay two nights and go around the staff yeah. and have a chat and have a watch the lads, form the connections. Um, we take each age banding now on a, on, on, a, on a tour, so that's kind of my time to get more of the work done in with them um, for human development. Mm. What then, is that tour, sorry, just to cut they in? On, they go on tour, so 15s and 16s go next week. We're going to Holland. Yeah. 13s and 14s went to Germany last time. They're going to Spain in February. Um, and then the 9s and 10s go on the 11s and 12s. So the all-age banding now goes away on tour for a couple of days. Um, but then I'll do a sessions with them on a Monday and then staff CPD. So every unit of work, there's a session with me and a staff CPD. But actually I found that most, most impactful are being the little conversations or the notices of things and then a dropping in of things or them coming to me and we've got to a point now where the staff do come to me because I'm not here every night so the staff will come on other night at this or this player or that player so it's it's kind of 
giving them the knowledge and understanding it, the fact that if I want to leave or I said before, if I've done my job right in the next two or three years, it should be sustainable without me. I think the big thing for us is every member, I think I said at the conference and something that spoke a lot about with a lot of the staff is every member of staff is our psychologist in a way mm. because it's a cultural thing. It's out fight, out run, out play. They're the three areas we go after. So you've got to know it. You've got to be able to drive the players, but also support the players. You've got to have that understanding of reading emotions and triggers. But so everybody in this building is a psychologist, even Gav, you know, D, what language they use at dinner with, with we're trying to bulk up a player or whatever. It's massive language is a massive thing for us. So everybody's a psychologist here. So I think for me, it's, it's the little nuggets then of just trying to pick things out or see things, drop little bits of curiosity. And because the staff are so curious um, and forward thinking, it then starts their own thinking, which I'm not having to do as much teaching and learning. I remember uh, Pippa Grange was talking about that with, you know, like the physio can be a key yeah. psychologist because he's mm -hmm. spending a lot of time with the players. It's quite a relaxed environment, you know. Yeah. You can't underplay that. No. Pippa gave me some great advice um, when, before I came in, and I must have been in a couple of months, and um, she said to me, if you feel like you're having to say it, keep saying it because it means it's important. And I got to a point where I said certain things and it kind of impacted on some people, not on others. And when you first come in, you're trying to just impact and influence to a point now where I don't have to say them things anymore. But it were, she, she said to me, don't be afraid if you think it's important to keep saying it, even if you feel like you've, had, you've said it 10, 12, 13, 14 times, which were interested at the time it's probably what I needed just at that mm. vital point from Pippa and can it be a bit of a fine balance between being very open understanding um, giving people a chance but then ultimately it is quite a ruthless sport isn't it really yeah. it, it, is that quite a hard line a dividing line really I think sometimes as we make decisions on players which we have to because of the system but if we look at it from a, a brain perspective you really won't be making decisions on players until they're in the mid 20s and a lot of players probably have their peak of their careers later on late 20s early 30s because they know themselves they know the bodies they've had experiences um, so I think I don't know if it's do we not work with the site what the science is telling us I don't think we're doing education but that's my opinion but that's probably come back and haunt me, but um, especially with adolescent brain stuff, like you know, it shows us that they don't learn before the, the time of ten o'clock in the morning. Grogginess then impacts learning, so you know we, we sometimes try and get them ready for experiences later on, and all we're just doing is repeating experiences. So we say right, they need to get ready for this first team experience. So we just give them it without actually thinking well. In their, their part of brain development, if we give them an experience that strengthens their window of tolerance, when they go into first time environment, they'll have to cope with them experiences anyway. So that's been a kind of a big shift here, to be honest, um, in that way, that we're trying to watch right for that child at that point. We try and give them, try and think, oh, we're gonna give them an experience that they might then feel later on. But actually, are we missing moments of 
child development at the right time. So, uh, okay. I'm not sure I really answered your question there. No, that's interesting. But what do you mean by that then, with just trying to work that out? That's an interesting point. So, if a player in the first team doesn't get selected, some managers will not tell them why. They're just not selected. So, if our 21s, we've got certain players that's playing, and then we have other players that come back and then they get they're not selected do we then tell them why they're not selected or don't we and you can you can have an argument for both ways one that they gain the experience and one that we should tell them the element of framing is massive for me so if we have one player that at that point in is in their really good development but wouldn't gain a positive experience from not being told then why don't we tell them but then we'll add on the effect of and I'm just going to let you know that if that had been your first team, you probably won't get that, that understanding, but I'm giving it because we feel this now. Yeah. So I think there's an area of sometimes we try and repeat experiences to get them ready for that, when actually mm-hmm. we're missing probably moments of brain development. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think things have changed slightly in the system. The children are slightly different that's in front of us, generations and all that side. Um, so I feel sometimes we don't need to repeat them experience is going to get we need to give them an understanding of why this might be because perceptions is a massive thing in football mm-hmm. people perceive all the time I'll say to the boys all the time a bee can fly near now and you can go oh, a bee look at that lovely bee and I could go oh bee so it's all perceptions and I think sometimes when they're in this younger stage framing and giving them a, a of an understanding of it is sometimes beneficial from later on. Mm. Quite a big debate in football is about obviously a massive dropout rate yeah. in academies, only a tiny proportion become pros, mm. let alone play you no know, championship or Premier League. Um, so are you working towards preparing them for pro football or are you thinking about the life they might have outside of football as well? I think for me, I'm trying to think around what we can do to strengthen their window of tolerance to enable them to be able to cope with whatever gets thrown at them later on whether that is in football or out of football um, I link really close with the education team so we try and link it the fact that everything we do from a neuroscience perspective is a relational approach so we're at, we are purposefully in connection with our players to give them better soil so strengthen their window of tolerance so they then can cope with demands of life in the game. So I think, for me, we know the harsh realities, we know the dropout rates, we know what happens in wellbeing, but if we can strengthen their window of tolerance now, when the bad times hit, whether that is in football or out of football, we hopefully would have gave our children or our players enough things that sit below the surface to be able to cope with them demands. And that's just the biggest thing that we go down. So connection, relational approach, hitting their window of tolerance to literally strengthen and strengthen and strengthen as much as we can what's below the surface for them, for them whatever then happens in football or in life. Um, we talked about neuroscience a bit. Yeah. Uh, you're doing a PhD, are you, at the I moment am. in well, neuroscience? Yeah. Professional doctorate, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so if if you'd have said I'd have been doing a professional doctorate when I was at university, I'd have said no way. Um, but um, 
did my master's. Part of my master's research was application of neuroscience in foundation phase, which obviously I did it here. Um, and then my next little bit now is a professional doctorate in elite performance. So I'm doing it through UCLan. Um, and basically I'm trying to show that what we embed and what we put in, um, you're trying to show that you you can applicate. So what, what the academic research tells us to then how you then apply it. If you're doing a normal PhD, it's normally how you a good researcher in certain areas. So mine's around what's the academic side of it tell us. So what's the academia tell us, what's the research tell us, and then how do I apply it? And kind of that's been um, the biggest thing since coming in here. That's what I said to Jack. Um, in theory and in coach development, you said this is what the science gives us. Um, coming in here and the last 18 months, two years, has all been around trial and error, what works, what doesn't, what's the resources we've been then pulled together for the boys, um, language stuff, where we're going to go with it. So my prof doc is very much trying to bring practitioner with acad academic or academia and how then we embed it into the academy. But the research is definitely is just being done with the PDP, but realistically it's it's embedded throughout. So, so yeah. So we'll see what what comes out about it. But yeah. Brilliant. And you've got the UA for A license as well, haven't you? I so am. you're highly qualified in in both areas. Really. Yeah, A license and AYA. So I come from a coaching background. I think that helps the buy-in. Mm. If I'm honest, from talking to other people, I think um, the buy-in from the coaches come the fact that and you think about it from a sociological lens a license AYA 13 years at the FA you come with so much capital power um, and then it's how then you know your area then you've got to be able to know your area and be able to deliver your area so so yeah so that's I think that's been a massive help for me that I've come from a coaching background but now applying it into a practical sense. So sometimes I'll go on the grass with the boys. So it's like we did some stuff with the under 10s. They'd gone to a tournament. Ref had made some decisions. There'd a couple of them emotions. So we did some things on right. What happened at the weekend? Right, let's go on the pitch and practice it. But it was framed for them. I think that's a big thing for me. When we sometimes practice those games, we put them back in a certain situation. But all your body's doing is recognising the pattern that's happened before, so you're just ingraining that in them. Instead of actually, right, this happened at the weekend, so tonight we're going to do this practice or this game or this session. And I'm going to make some bad decisions and then we're going to help you through it to then know how we may change our behaviours next time. And people said to me, well, they're going to know what they're going to do, but they're not because neurologically you've not, you've not laid them groundwork. So... Basically, they'll go back into what they happened at the weekend. And it's how you support that, how you get them to understand, how you get them to catch it, how you get them to work with it. So getting on the grass, for me, um, I still like to do, but it's an element of probably framing experiences for them to understand it mm. um, or getting them out of the building. We do a lot of stuff out of the building as well, so, yeah. Well, what happened before that people would suppress emotions more, do you think? Because it seems that this is recognising them and then having strategies to to deal with them. Yeah, I think I don't, suppress probably comes a lot from boys as well, from culturally, I feel like. Um, I see in 
our academy and probably in football, um, quite a lot of players going into freeze response, so they become numb, they shut down, they go wondering in games, they disassociate from the games. Um, it gets said all the time about like they've gone wondering or they've gone missing in games or they need the second wind. Um, it's all physiological responses when they feel like they can't run. It's the body shutting them down, um, which is harder to work with because we've got to get back through fight and flight, really, to get them back into thinking. So I think a lot of players, boys, a lot of research in the boys' side, goes into freeze response, which is numb, can't feel anything. So having to, um, to get them to sense in to the emotions before then they go back out. Whereas if somebody goes into fight response, they can kind of sense that, so you can work with that quicker. Mm. Um, and that's the red and green, is it? Yeah, so we talk around, yeah, when, the, when our boys are in the green zone, they're in their learning capacity, they're making really good decisions, they can scan, they can plan and reflect, so they'll arrive as the ball probably arrives on the defender's touch, um, and they can give non-verbal and verbal communication. When our, some of our players go out of the green zone into the red zone, they'll go they'll not really give you much eye contact, they'll not really give you much nodding in, say, half-time team talks. They'll track the ball as it's moving and then go as the player takes the touch. Uh, we don't give much verbal, verbal communication. Um, so we can profile, really, when they're probably going in and out of the red and the green zone. And, and it's a very simplistic model. The brain doesn't work that way. It's an element of a teaching model to be able to the boys to be able to then start to recognise it and also recognise it in each other. So some of the boys will go, oh, is it red zone? So we talk about it. So it's a common language that just helps them understand how they go in and out of them, them states and what they get from each state, even though scientifically you'd argue against it because it's not linked into specifics it is just a very simplistic model that we have that takes a very complex subject to allow them just to have some concept of being able to recognize what's going on instead mm. of going baffling them with the science and they would then have a strategy would they to go recognize they're in the red and go back into the green yes yeah. so the strategy has become power of the breath so we do a lot on breath work differences in breath work um power of your thoughts so we talk to the boys around, if you're in the red zone, you will, so I'm a big believer that I don't think, in theory, confidence exists in a tangible thing. It's an emotional response to a chemical, well, a chemical response to an emotional response in our body. Um, and it changes and splits in the state of the game. So our boys understand that when they go in the red zone, what then their emotions are will produce certain chemicals in their body, which then keeps them in there. And we do a lot of work with our strikers around. If you miss the first chance, <clears throat> recognising that frustration's normal, shows you care. So accept the emotion, accept the, 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 the chance has been missed, feel it, work with it, reset and go again. So then the next chance that comes, because if they then stay in their red zone, they're not reading cues and triggers. So they'll not read cues and triggers off the defender, off the goalkeeper, off the winger. So the ball's coming in, they'll just whack at it or swing the leg at it uh, instead of reading cues and triggers because they're not making decisions, they're not planning and reflecting. Um, and also, if they're out of their green zone, 
their spine, their body, everything neurologically will be slightly different. So they tend to pull the shots wide or come over the bar or mistime the headers because they're not, they're neurologically, structurally not in the green zone and they're not planning predicting after the players as well. Mm. So we can kind of track it a lot. Mm. Yeah, and no, I was just looking at the quote behind you actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so where's that come from? I just read it, feel the emotion, work off it, let it go, be present. Yeah, we had a talk last week. The first team had it and then the 18s and 21s from the gentlemen that were in the um, Special Forces. Um, and it were just some of the quotes, so he, he did that one as well. So, train hard, fight easy, uh, courage with caution, comfort in chaos. And then that were it. And that's what we basically tell the boys. And certain boys have different... different um, Trigger words, different images. So we have pegs. All the boys have a have a peg now. That we have their name on it, a picture or something that that's their purpose for playing, their value, and then maybe a quote. So it's all specific to them. So they have that's, yeah. that's yeah. in the professional development phase. Those boys. Yes. Are, yeah. So all the boys have their own pegs. In, they're in the change room. I'll show you actually yeah. later. And we go about what's your purpose, what's your value, and then some of them have their trigger words on. So some of the boys have. Um, language so next one and if they've got a certain language then the staff know about it some people have a visual so one of our players works off a traffic light system mr chance red how's he getting towards orange so what's his strategy ready for the next one green um we've used harry kane with language we've used loads of different ones so the boys have all got their own and it's about them practicing things what works for them what doesn't work for them um, so it's all on their pegs, so it's a visual reminder of... And then we do a lot of work on being present, but yeah. Feel the emotion, text the boys all the time that they should feel frustrated or a bit peeved off if they miss or something goes wrong. That's normal, it shows the care. Frustrations is number one for really for dysregulating. Um, so it's a case of accepting it, working with it, resetting. Um, but we do a lot of work about being present um, and feeling your emotions, being present with it, working with it. So, yeah, which mm. comes back into the mindfulness stuff. Mm. I was quite surprised. We did a podcast with Russell Martin, who's now the Swansea manager. Yeah. And he was, he was a top player. But he was saying he never enjoyed playing. Yeah. He never really enjoyed a minute of it. And he was never present when he was playing. Yeah. And I was quite shocked by that. But a lot of people say, no, that was the same for me. Yeah. Um, and that's surprising for a layman, you know. Yeah. We have that here. Some of our some of our staff that used to play, um, would say the same. Or when I've done the bits on going into the red zone and they feel like they're running through treacle, some of our staff have gone. I've I've had games like that, and I'll go. Yeah, well, this is your nervous system, and you know, um, I'm really fit. But then when I got in certain games, I felt like that. Yeah, because this is what's going on in your nervous system. So. And I think that's a lot of people said to me. Do you have anybody that that when you're delivering? Because I still go around other clubs and deliver certain CPDs and stuff. Have you had any anybody that kind of goes, no, I'm not having that. Like, no, no, I'm not having that. And I'll say no because the ex once you start talking about what's happening in your body and your brain, everybody can relate to it. Everybody's had a game or something happen where, and it's same as like if you've gone, it's like bogey teams. It's not really. It's what happens is if you've had a negative experience your brain goes right i'm going to get you ready for protecting yourself it's all about keeping you safe so your window tolerance shuts slightly 
And then when you get there, somebody might say something to you or you might sense it again or your same smell and it takes in your senses and it shuts your window slightly again and it's same as if a favourite song comes on. First couple of notes, you know, you have like a sense of it. So because of that, your window tolerance shuts. So because then first touch, ref makes bad decision, your window tolerance shuts even more, then you like set sent off at that same spot. So realistically it's about understanding how you are and sensing in and understanding that because a lot of them a lot of them your nervous system and your brain is storing all them things mm. yeah because we've all experienced that like you say yeah. like doing a presentation you yeah. tell yourself this is going to be terrible i'm terrible at this <laughs> it is that protecting yourself then because your body's saying don't do it it was bad before don't do it <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's protecting yourself or whether it's whether it's a not of having an understanding of what's going on so it's normal to feel that way um what then you tell yourself in your words in your head will have a certain chemical reaction into your body which then heightens you more into that fear or i'm going to do this i'm going to do that or you catch yourself and you can change and reframe and journaling's really good for like putting your thoughts down and stuff but it's about catching your thoughts are they helpful or they're not what's the science behind it so you're going back into rational thinking and knowing really what's then happening in your body you can't turn it off you can't get rid of it you've got to understand it and work with it and that's the biggest thing that we try and get here that that you have to understand it you have to understand we always give the boys the science so why? Why is it happening? What's the why behind it? And obviously I have to try and deliver it in a way that is, they understand it. And then how does this relate into you? What happens then in other people in football? So have we got any, any examples of that? And then what we're going to do about it? So we try and go through that process because when we get into that mindset or what words we tell ourselves or what we tell us as nervous system then puts us into the red zone. And then my nervous system can help regulate you. What words I say can have a massive effect on you. So we have to talk to the boys around. Our goalkeeper's doing loads of work at the minute. He's injured, so he's done some. We did some work observing the first team keeper the other day, Davis. Loads of work on communication, and he started to now have it in his journal of like which player needs a softer word, which player needs a sharp word to gain back in his thinking capacity. Who works better for what? How he's going to help regulate? Um, he's going singing actually, a singing lesson on Thursday to understand about his tone of voice. Mm. So he's doing we're doing some work on his tone of voice, um, but it's starting to understand because it is language, power of the words, what you say to each other, how you say it. Face is a massive thing with power of threat. We a smile, it all access the nervous system. Um, so yeah, so I think. Probably the big thing for me is understanding and catching yourself. It's normal. It's about catching yourself and then reframing it and changing it. Because I think there's been a culture, not only in football, um, but probably particularly among men, I think, that have not shown any weakness or admitting any weakness. Yeah. Whereas, as you say, maybe when the lads talk to each other, they'll say, well, I feel that too. Yeah. They're admitting it and then addressing it. We've done a lot on journeys. So our goalkeepers, I think, is a massive area. Um, and we've had a lot of our older goalkeepers explaining their journeys 
Um, the goalkeeper I'm working with at the minute, he's done loads of work coming in and talking to the younger lads around how he's felt last year as a first-year scholar not playing, how he felt with his emotions, what he's done about it. Um, and I think, I think we're changing. I think we've got to change in a sense of just not get on with it. Um, what is it? Why is it? There's an element of trying to put that in for them, but also stretching them. So it's got to work in a tool prong. We can't just go, oh, no, they can't be faced by that. We've got to actually, this is what's happening with your body and your brain. We're going to have to put you in this situation. We're framing it up. We're experiencing it. I'm there supporting you with it. And then we, we, we review it at the end. So I think now we've got to start probably, or there's, a, there's the generation in front of us starting to have more understanding of emotions and feelings and they are very open about it. Um, so it's probably more education around what language we use and how we frame it and what the boys are now feeling and need and things like that. We, we had someone called Darcy Norman on the site again who was a head of performance at Roma and big clubs yeah. and he was saying that about, you can say the same thing in two different ways but it can yeah. make such a different impact depending on how you say it you know and that really stuck with me when he said that it can it's it's words and the power of the word and how you say it when you say it who says it is massive and there's there's an element of you've got to be curious around that Mm. so that's the big thing reading cues and triggers reading emotional faces our threat detection comes from our eyes to our mouths so very much how we deliver the messages but very much observing players and their their facial recognition um but it definitely does and there's certain i could play a song and you could really you could love it and i could hate it because of an experience with it um so and there's words that's probably being said or things that's being said or labels that's being said that's then embedded in them negative responses somebody can say something to you about oh i don't like that outfit you never wear it again so it's so it definitely is how people perceive it and you've got to be curious around why they react like they do are but words and language um for us is an area that i want to now start to conversation analysis as an area is an area i'm really interested in that we probably looking at and we've got little mics that we've got that we can put in our gps's in fact goalkeepers doing a um a presentation back to the goalkeepers today and we can record the tone of voice what they're saying so some of our leadership group or our captains have had some recordings on it Uh how then they then then use their tone of voice so that's why we're taking our goalkeeper to the singing lessons and then yeah we're doing some little bits with them as well about acting so how they use acting how they play a role because in a way they play a role probably what they are here will be differently to what they are at home um, which is again sociological theories mm. of playing roles yeah. in pressure management so yeah so it's about giving them giving them the tools um, in fact I did a conversation today with, with goalkeeper and um, I said to him I said all my job role is is to give you an understanding of all these little elements and bring them into your conscious awareness how you then take that on and work with it, I'll support you with it, but it's like a, a baby when they start walking. You're there and you guide them, and then you let them go, 
And that's kind of my role. I, I, I'm there and I'm guiding them, giving them the tools. They're starting to understand themselves a bit. And then I let them go and then they might come back to me now and again. But you would hope that they carry on doing it. And that was one of the conversations of the day with one of the players. I'd not had him in for a few weeks. And I said, oh, I feel like I've not seen you for a few weeks. And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. And I'm like, yeah, that's the issue, though. When we sometimes feel we're all right, we don't do it. He's like, Sally, morning breath work, I do in the car. I'm doing afternoon breath work when I get home. I'm doing my journaling on a night. And I'm doing some colouring in. He's like, you've taught me well. I'm like, oh, perfect, let you go. Mm. And I think that's, that's the thing. You have to, sometimes you're, you're managing them for a little bit because they're new to it all. And then once they start to understand it, you let them go with it. Mm. So did, did you say that you can record them in their GPS Yes, vest? so we've got a little, really square little mic that we just pop in the GPS vest mm. on the back of the vest and it records. So our goalkeeping coach is still playing, so he put it in his. And then we've matched up the, the, the um, game. He presented back last week to the goalkeepers, what do you see, what do you hear? And then we went and did, Davis played for us in the 21s, so the goalkeepers watched, what does he do, what does he say? Um, and we've got it filmed, so they're presenting back today with a mic. And then, yeah, so we put bits in, and then we look at what words to say as a massive influence, how they say it, will they say it too? Um, and then we've kind of like gone, right, have you ever had a conversation with the two centre-arts on what information? would help you or what so we, we do some little unit work as well so we've got three areas that we look after at, well we have in the outfight um that were a blank canvas actually when i came in we have ownership communication and steel and there are three areas one outrun out 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 play power of three and every area's got a three so from a psychological sociological lens power of three is massive for us so ownership, communication, steel. So we don't really work off a psychological framework as such. We work off a, a behavioural one. Um, is it two-pronged then, would you say? Is it about a player understanding themselves better and also understanding the impact they have on other people and understanding other people better? Yeah, I think understanding themselves and their impact then in the team mm-hmm. is massive. Their impact in the environment. So we'll talk around, if you're walking past something and you pick it up, it influences the next person, so sociological as well. We took the boys up in the Peak District, uh, Lake District, sorry, for three days, and if then you'd done your task, but they ended up walking back and suddenly start running, human behaviour was then the next person start running, then the next person, the next person. So so there's an element of how you influence behaviours in and around the building. So do you pick up your cups? Do you pick up the water bottles? Do you put your chairs in? Do you open the doors? Do you, so how you influence other people? What's your standards? What's your habits? How you drive people in training? Um, the tone of voice then that you give that um, criticism or compliment. Um, so yeah, so it's very much around understanding you as a person and then how does that fit into the wider team and then also understanding every member of that wider team and also staff within that as well. Mm. So it's an, it's an environmental thing of players understanding themselves understanding then and that's what we work off individual unit team and then obviously how we then support them around that mm. maybe that's something that people don't do enough in society in general i think 
think of how they're impacting other people, that yeah. second part of it. So. It was interesting. I, I read a book this weekend and I watched a pod, I listened to a podcast and I was saying that social interactions and how we are with our voice and our tone of voice and words we say in our facial cues is the number one predictor for what you have in longevity in life. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so social interaction, so... So yeah. Well, in in terms of how your life is going to pan out. How 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 long you will live for? Oh right. It's oh, the number wow. one predictor. Yeah. Oh, right. So social interactions on a very minute level of how we interact with mm. everybody, so people in the coffee shop or whatever, and then your social circle of what you are, but oh, wow. very much your conversation, your tone of voice, your behaviours. And a lot of clubs and people in general talk about culture. It's become yeah. a real buzzword. Um, I was just, what do you understand that to mean, first of all, that word, yeah, in I practice? See, I, I feel like, for us here, um, even though culture is in my job title, it is everybody's responsibility and we're all in it together. Um, certain people have certain more power in the building because of job titles and where they sit. So that influences culture even more. Um, but I think it's an element of, what, what's our identity? We're clear on our identity. I feel like um, if you were to watch a Chef United TV, you know our identity. It's very clear, outrun, outfight, outplay. Um, and I think that's quite clear in the vocab that gets used, the sessions that get delivered, expectations, habits, and the players that we've got. Um, and that's come out a few times when I've been to other clubs have said, like your mantra definitely is visible um, so I think there's an element of what's the visibility of our, of our culture but for me even though it's, it's in my job title um, I feel like it's more about understanding everybody understanding it it's a collective it's what we do every day um, what we how we are in the building is that is that rooted in the town and the history of the club then when you come upon that culture and all the key attributes? I think it is here. I think it works here. I think I said to you earlier, I think our building works for us, even though we could probably do with a little bit more space, definitely more pictures, but um, I think our building works for us. I think we have steel in our in our behaviour. We didn't want to have to resilience, it was steel. Um, and it, it, work, it works for us in our culture in, in, in here. Our, our teams definitely relate back into our, our community. Um, what we are as people in staffing, and you've seen it today, first team staff walk past academy staff. We have all different staffing all over the lads. It's very, very grounded, I feel like, here. Yeah. Um, Everyone said hello to me, to be fair, even yeah. though they don't know who I am, you know, but <laughs> the players, the first team players as well, say yeah. hello. Yeah. 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 I think we're very, I think culturally, our working class um, town and city does replicate, and it's we've got steel quite heavily involved in a lot of the things, um, and it's in, it's in the outfight. Um, and I think that's a big thing. We want the, we want the football club to represent what the city's about as well. Yep. Oh, that's brilliant. Thanks so much, Sally. There is. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website and on Twitter 
at ground underscore guru.